I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, Tyler. How are you? Good. Good to see you back for season two, episode two. I have been really excited about talking about this episode because it really feels like it brings together a lot of the threads we've been talking about. Good. Good. Yes, I feel like you are going to be quite an expert on this particular field, so I'm excited about that. Is this one one that has stood out in your mind? Is it as as memorable for you as like a Diversity Day? Is that what that one was called? Uh, yeah, yeah. Or the or the Dundies. It's not as much of my favorite episode as those are, but yes, yeah, super memorable. And I feel like there are some big, uh, like really standout lines from this and it's the first time we get that's what she said so we'll get there and we'll discuss it but it's a pivotal a watershed moment for the office (laughs) I was gonna ask you is this the very first time that gets established yes and I did research to check so I thought thought as I was watching it wow um, that I was like I feel like this is the first we haven't heard this before as we've been watching it and so then I went to the scripts and um searched each one that was before it Mm-hmm. This is the first. Wow. I well, it's so interesting because I mean, I know we'll talk about it, but just I, as I was watching it, I was like, well, surely this can't be the first because they talk about it as if it's a thing he says yeah. all the time. Um, yeah. And then, of course, it's so iconic that like I probably knew that joke before I even watched the show. Um, or something like that. And so, yeah, it's, I, yeah, what a, what a fascinating way to introduce this thing that I don't know if they even knew how uh, memorable it would become. You're right. That's such an interesting kind of storytelling element of it too, because they do build it in as if it has always been there. They just establish it as a thing that has been Michael's, even though we haven't happened to hear those exact parts of Michael's backstory in the office, but he's got a history. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I'm excited to talk about that. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think, do we have any like news or, or updates, revisions, uh, things we need to address? Yes. I actually have two corrections. Ooh. If we should, if I should say that or revisions, I don't know. Um, but based on last week, Maybe these are fill-ins. So last time I did not know what those delicious chilies, chicken items were. Fingers, tenders. I was like, neither of those sound quite right. I've been filled in crispers. They are chicken crispers. Oh man, that is good to know. And also I really, really regret that we are not in the same place right now because we should really go out and order them and (laughs) celebrate Totally. I felt too like having the correct name was sort of illuminating because it feels like the right branding for exactly those things. They are crispy and delicious. And now I'm like, I, I need to revisit them because I thought they had changed the recipe. Now I'm doubting that I need to go, go back and see. The other thing um, is I learned that chilies, this chilies is spelled with an I and not an E. Oh. I'm going to still agree to disagree with the correctness of that. I've got a little bit of a problem with it, but um, yeah. So this is chilies with an eye. 
Can you so say more about your problem with that? Like, is it a, yeah, what is it that it bothers you? It's partly a visual thing. Mm. It's also, yeah, I don't like the look of it as much. I like the look of an E in that word. Otherwise it's sort of too many straight tall lines. Mm. Also, I associate that chili with the kind of chili that's in a pot, like the kind of chili that Kevin will spill much, much later in the season. Even though apparently it seems like maybe it's an English spelling rather than the E being a Spanish spelling because I checked the green chilies in my house, in my cabinet, and that is with an E. Mm. But then there are others that spell it with an I. So I don't know. I don't love it, but I've got to go with it. I just, well, first, I'm grateful to you for doing this research. And uh, second, I... I really like the kind of attention to the aesthetics of spelling, you know, like, cause I, I like that you're not saying it's about, you know, right or wrong spelling. It's about, like, is it visually pleasing to the eye? Um, so anyway, oh, I love that so much. <laughs> it's not visually pleasing, but I've decided that that's not a fight that I'm going to win. And so I'm going to let that one go. Yeah. The Chili's industrial complex is, you know, <laughs> you can't fight city hall. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so much good there that makes up for it. So. Yeah, no, no, we don't want to take them down. I mean, we could, we could take them down, but we don't want to. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> we do have that kind of power. Yeah, them. we do. Yeah, the podcast is really blown up. So <laughs> we're still endorsing Chili's. This is still a pro Chili's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we are not currently endorsed by Chili's, but <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I would sell out all my you know, socialist principles. If like Chili suddenly was like, Hey, do you want to be sponsors for free chicken crispers? I'll be like, hell yeah, I will <laughs> send me a lifetime supply of that honey mustard. And I'll say anything you want. Like, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> just to be clear on where my integrity lies, it lies. in Yeah. Food. <laughs> we'll just promote Chili's for free for now until they discover us and then we'll sell out. Yep. 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 Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. What about you? Do you have any any follow-ups, any things you need to circle back to from last time? Uh, well, just one quick thing. I was <laughs> I was talking, I can't remember how this came up, but um, I have a friend where we text each other back and forth on, we'll send each other pictures of popular celebrities and be like, do you think this person is attractive? Oh. Thoughts. And so uh she had sent me adam driver and we were kind of like debating whether or not adam driver is actually attractive in what context or whatever then we were talking about jeremy renner is he hot or not and um but she was saying he's on this new tv show in which he's kind of like grizzled and uh you know he's like grizzled. you know yeah and so this got us somehow to talk about hot grizzled daddies you know as like an aesthetic <laughs> and like who are the hottest grizzled daddies and um daddies wow okay yeah and so i i was saying to my partner i was like okay who's the hottest grizzled daddy you can think of and they said um steve carell and i was like what <laughs> i was i was like i don't know that steve carell is a grizzled enough for me but yeah. you know their uh their um evidence was like him in uh little miss sunshine where he's kind of you know downtrodden and whatnot so i was like you know what i think i really need we need maybe to at some point i feel like we should do a bonus podcast episode where we go into the corella verse 
and like yeah. watch watch Steve Carell outside of the office to determine like is he, not, not only is he hot or not, but like you know what is the essence of Steve Carell as an actor and an artist. Um, I would love that. I would love that. Steve Carell to me is not grizzled. That's a distinctive category. Agreed. Who's the guy that I'm thinking of, of that kind of older actor? He's not coming to mind, but I'd say like Willie Nelson is grizzled. Agreed. That's kind of where I go for grizzled daddy. It's not Steve Carell. Maybe he'll age into that. Maybe he'll, I don't know, roughen up and get a ranch in Utah and start, (laughs) which could bring him there. But I love Steve Carell in everything that he's in that I have seen. And he's always so different. He is. So I think he's got a lot of good material. Yeah. All right. That's going to be, we'll do a bonus podcast called, you know, Daddy Carell or, <laughs> or no, no, we're not going to do that. But anyway, um, yeah, no more updates for me. Let's dive into uh, Let's season two, episode two. Okay. Here is our summary. Sleazy sales rep Todd Packer visits Michael. HR gets on Michael's case for forwarding inappropriate emails. Mm. Fascinating, isn't it? Like email forwarding. Uh, it feels like such a 2000s problem of the workplace, you know, because now it would be, I don't know, you know, you you send something in the group chat or in the office Slack or posted it on Twitter or check out this Reddit thread or something like that, you know, it just was bringing me back to email chains. And if you don't forward this to so many people, like, because Angela mentions that at one point, like you'll, you know, something bad will happen to you. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, you're right. That definitely feels like an early early era of email situation and that's because it or i i feel like it's partly because it was translating over from letters and from chain letters did you ever get a chain letter when you were growing up i never did what was that like awful awful. (laughs) i remember it being a terrible experience i can't remember how old i was i don't know maybe like 12 or something but somebody sends you a letter and there's some kind of formula that they're repeating that other people have said and then they say exactly that send this to 10 people or it's not only that you'll have a bad luck but it's like you will break the chain oh will ruin like you will crumble the entire pyramid scheme that is the chain letter mm. and so I remember getting it and being like I feel weird about this and I don't want to do it but I also am really stressed out by not doing it and having this talk with my mom and crying about not about breaking the chain. Am I going to break the chain letter? Aww. And she encouraged me and supported me in breaking the chain. So I did. I love that you were a rebel and I love that uh, your mother supported this, but yeah, there is this like coercive quality to the yeah. insistence that you must forward. And I do feel like the episode <clears throat> kind of like, you know, reminds us of that and then also nicely links it to other kinds of coercions in the workplace or that, you know, specifically around humor. And so, I don't know, it's just very interesting to me that it opens up with him, with, um, what's his face, Michael going to Jim and being like, did you get any emails? No, check your spam folder, 
which made me wonder if Jim has like marked Michael's emails as spam. Um, because why else would my, unless I guess a forward, but even a forward from your boss, you would think would go into your inbox, not your spam folder. But in any case, um, is it sort of like those things that get marked as spam because they're like dirty or something? Probably. Yeah. Spam filter. I, I don't know. Um, if it is a certain number of like key inappropriate words or something like that. I shouldn't talk about technology because I have no idea how it works, but nor do I. That's what makes it fun. Let's speculate exactly. without any info. Exactly. So let's talk about that scene because I actually really love that. And that is a beloved Michael moment for me. So when he walks up to the desk, he sits on the corner. There's a lot of sitting on desks in this episode, maybe in the show in general. Yeah. Realizing now as I reflect on it, I have not experienced in my workplace. Um, but he comes and he kind of perches on the corner of the desk and it feels like it's supposed to be, I don't know, kind of fun and casual and congenial or something yeah. like that. And he asks him, yeah, like you said, if he's if he's gotten those emails, so Jim checks the spam and Jim says, oh, there it is. And Michael goes, what? And he kind of has this, um, his face, it's like the greatest fake curiosity face where he's still trying to kind of pretend that there's a surprise in there or something. It's like, he's just staging this whole moment and his eyebrows kind of go up and he's trying not to smile and he's trying not to laugh, but he's so excited. And then uh, Jim reads it and it's 50, 50 reasons or 50 signs your priest might be Michael Jackson. And the way that Michael laughs, I just love because he is just so absolutely delighted by it. Yes. <laughs> which I find really endearing and really enjoyable. Wait, I have a quick follow-up question for you. Uh, when you're teaching in the classroom, do you, do you stand? Do you sit? Do you sit on the desk? Like, uh, yeah, where are you physically in the room? I usually stand. The whole time? Unless it's occasionally a really small class, which this happened maybe once or something, where we have like a seminar table. And then mm -hmm. I sit. I kind of like the way I can move around and I can get to the different sides and... Uh, yeah, so I'm mostly kind of a stand and walk arounder. I remember having teachers in college who did the sit on the desk thing. And I think that's definitely like a cool move. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely not that cool. <laughs> I can't pull off the sit on the desk thing. And so I, I don't try. I wish I could be that person, but I'm just not. Yeah, my the rooms this semester for me are not designed for sitting on the desk anyway. And so I do this awkward thing of kind of, like I sit in a chair, you know, because we're, I mean, my classes are a little smaller this semester. So we're kind of doing like, you know, sitting in a circle. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll get up and then like jump up to the computer, put something on the screen and walk around and then I go back to the chair. It's been, it's very awkward and uh, just seemingly designed to not be cool about anything. So <laughs> anyway, but I'm so glad you mentioned this because I did note the, the scene where I noticed it was Todd Packer, like in the last scene yeah. of the show. And his, the way that he's kind of, like you said, so kind of performatively casual um, was just very amusing to me and also iconic, you know, something like, oh, I've, I feel like I've seen people try to adopt this pose of like, 
we're just we're all standing around the water cooler just talking um yeah but yeah that's a great point that michael is being demure you know it's like he knows he knows exactly what you know he wants jim to see so what's the you know Mm-hmm. But, but, it, you know, I guess the pleasure for him is like, it's a little Christmas present or something, you know, it's a surprise. Yeah. Um, but what I found odd about that choice was like, well, then we don't ever get any of the like 50 signs that your priest might be Michael Jackson. I was like, are we going to get any of those jokes? Like, what are the signs? Like, it was, it was interesting that they don't give us um, yeah. a taste of that. So we're just left to, I guess, imagine. Huh, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that's right. So I guess it's like all the humor it gives us is Michael and Jim's reaction and the interaction between them and just the title. Yes, the title. Yeah. Um, now, what did you make of the next scene after that where he's saying um, he's like, this is, I feel like classic Michael and that season two is really leaning into this, his theory that the workplace is a family mm-hmm. or that we're friends. And he's like, we're friends. And he just, he says that he's Chandler and Joey. Yes. that Dwight is Kramer you know so there's this joke here that he's mixing up Seinfeld uh and then Pam is Rachel I think yeah uh, I was trying to think about I was hoping you would have some insight into like what does it mean that he's not Ross um and the fact that he sees himself as a combo of Chandler and Joey yeah I don't know any thoughts on this moment let's see I don't feel like I had any insights about this other than just really enjoying when he lands on the Dwightus Kramer and that um, slip into Seinfeld with also without seeming awareness of what he's doing there. Right. But is it that Ross, and maybe I would need some friends review, but is it that Chandler and Joey are more the funny characters and is Ross kind of more the sincere kind of nice guy character I think that's right yeah I think of Ross as kind of mopey yeah is Chandler kind of is Chandler kind of a player type guy too I don't recall or that's Joey I think that's Joey I think I remember Chandler being kind of like uh anxious and like yes, um, yes he's like the neurotic guy yeah yeah okay. yeah but I feel like they're maybe the more comedic ones or something which that, I mean, this episode is all about his desire to be a comedian. Yes. You know? And it's like, oh, we can't joke. And, you know, the, when he says like, oh, doesn't he, oh, I'm retiring from comedy. Yes. You <laughs> it's like, oh my God, like there it is. Like he sees himself as not a boss, but as a, as a, as a, as a, as a comedian, um, as a host. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He is. He's like the host, host of the office. I want to go back to something you said before we get past it. And that was about, um, you went to the way that Todd also sits on the desk. Yeah. Todd. And actually I'm realizing they never just call him Todd. He's always Todd Packer. Yeah. Or Packer, or he calls him, I think the Pac-Man at one point. Is that it? Okay. I can't remember. It might be elsewhere, but um, the way I would love to do a side-by-side visual analysis of Michael's desk sit and Todd's desk sit. Todd is just it's so distinctive and he the way he sits is like he's kind of got his back arched and his arms out and it's just so I do not know what the word is to describe it but it's so obnoxious yeah even from the start 
Yeah, I mean, manspreading would be one, you know, thing to say about it. Yeah. And he seems to, you know, it's it's a beautiful way, the way the performance is too, of like kind of, you know, he has no respect for anybody's boundaries and he has no respect for anybody's, um, you know, feelings, identities or whatever. And so his the way that he moves around the office, uh, you know, seems to demonstrate that. I mean, his introduction here is to sneak up behind Michael and he doesn't like pants him, but he takes his jacket and like pulls yes. it over his head. And I just, you know, kept thinking about, you know, um, you know, my brother, like, you know, kind of bullying me in that way or, you know, but all always under the guise of like, no, I'm just teasing. We're just joking around or whatever. But yeah. this kind of physical needling, um, so anyway, it feels like his posture feels like an extension of that sense yes. of privilege. And of course, you know, I mean, that's what's so interesting to me too about like narcissists is like they're, they generally have this sense that like, oh, aren't you, it's such a honor for you to be in my presence. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, and I, like yeah, a king holding court as he, as he perches on that corner of the desk. Yeah, yeah. But, I think you're so right that that yeah the physical is such an extension of the way that he has no sense or respect for anyone's boundaries and yeah thinks they're like <laughs> lucky to be around him the that move yeah the going up behind uh Michael putting the jacket over him and then the first thing he says as he comes in is what has two thumbs and legs to bone your mom this guy <laughs> <laughs> so also <laughs> yeah starting from a kind of sexual attack on michael's mother i probably shouldn't laugh so much as i say that phrase um <laughs> it's a funny line it's a funny line <laughs> but yeah i mean obviously we don't we're not like endorsing it <laughs> <laughs> not a, not a pro todd backer but no when he one thing I was struck by is the way that Michael kind of mirrors all of these things that he does, but always in a way that's not quite as big and not quite as bold and like a little more uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Also with his jacket and also with the physical stuff, he first asks Jim, what's up, Halpert? Still queer? Yeah. And then he kind of pulls up the back of his jacket and like backs up to Jim and kind of sticks his butt out at him. Mm -hmm. And then Michael does this smaller, more timid version of the same thing. And so, uh, yeah, it's like he just keeps, I think, I think the relationship between Michael and Todd here basically is really interesting. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you more about that because Michael says they are BFFs. Yes. <laughs> I was kind of curious what you thought about that phrasing. Um, <laughs> BFFs. <laughs> That's so funny. I hadn't really thought about the BFF. Do what you ever you use that phrase? Have you ever used BFF? Not in seriousness. Only if, only in a way that's sort of kidding. Yeah. Does it? So it's kind of like it's sort of texting language. Is it sort of girl language too? Yeah, I think so. Or certainly in that moment. And I mean, now it would be maybe bestie or something else, you know, but yeah, yeah, I, it feel it reads to me as a kind of um, feminized, you yeah. know, idiom. which Todd would never use. I feel like Todd Packer would never say no BFFs. 
I think that goes to one of the sort of heartbreaking things too about Michael's relationship with Packer because the way Michael tells it is that yeah they're they're BFFs and talks about all these things that they've done together <laughs> like for example let me just read one of those Michael describes his um friendship with Todd Packer one time we were out and we met this set of twins and Packer told him we were brothers so you know one thing led to another we brought him back to the hotel and then Packer did both of them it was awesome <laughs> And so that's sort of like the move with the jacket. I feel like he he talks like they're BFFs and like they have some kind of equality in their friendship and they totally dump. Yeah, I was gonna, well, okay. So first that, I thought that was fascinating. There is, I this is like a thing that annoyed me in that writing. This is just um, not about like, I don't, okay when he says he did both of them i was yeah. like he did them like but later in the episode they use other euphemisms like you know banging your mom or you know he was nailing the secretary or something and so <laughs> i couldn't decide whether this was good writing or awkward writing because i was like well it it sounds so awkward to me to hear michael say or to say, hear anybody describe sex as like i did them you know um and yeah so i don't know i was as i'm talking about it maybe it was intentional to sort of point up the way that michael is always trying to do normative masculinity or toxic masculinity and then kind of just getting it a little wrong and like not quite hitting the mark but on the other hand i was just like that's such a strange way to phrase that this guy had sex with these two uh sisters or whatever that he did them i don't know i just like it really like something about the verb choice bothered me <laughs> and i almost was like there could be something funnier there, there maybe there's a funnier way to say that or i don't know i don't know this is totally a random point but no, back to the point this is an important point tyler so i want to think about more i do remember you know do him do her do me as like a phrase do you remember yeah, that? True. Or like being so I do remember that phrase, but you're right. It's it's interesting because saying like he had sex with them is too clinical or like right. too technical, which we can get into the clinical with Dwight and his questions about you know, like, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that. Human anatomy, as um Toby describes it. But something like I don't know, banged is kind of harder like it's it's tougher it's got more of an edge to it yeah that would be taught what would Todd Packer goes too far. <laughs> like what do you think what would you have recommended as a verb choice here well I mean I love your point is really interesting to me that like actually no that was an idiom for sex that maybe was like a little more popular in the 2000s I think I might be just stumbling on the past tense version of it. Like, <laughs> yes, right. The I, past tense. I want to do them. <laughs> yeah. Is different than like I did them. Like I don't know. It's so, so true. I it's did them. Idea. Also, is diddler like from the? Is that like out of did? I did them. You diddled them. Like. Or is diddling a different verb? We may have to cut this question out of the podcast. <laughs> but 
idea. I never thought about that. It never occurred to me until we started talking about it that like, oh, right. Like, but you would never say I doodled them. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it's a specific, like, it's you know, definitely. language of you know, sexual violation of, you know, children yeah. essentially. That's right. So. Say. That, that I feel like you only use. Yeah. When it's like about assaulting children. But like, I wonder if the reason, if, if the, if the etymology of it yes. comes out of did, then yes. it would make sense in some way, because we usually narrate that in the past tense. You did this to me. Point. I it's not, I'm do yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> back to the question at hand, is Michael sitting there watching them? Like, does he, is he in the motel room? Also, I love that it specifies that it's a motel room. It's not a hotel. It's not, it's like a, it's like a motel six or whatever. It sounds so scummy. And then I was like, does he leave the room or does he sit there and watch? Cause when he says it was awesome, you know, that is a little ambiguous, like, which is to say it was awesome because he had sex with twins or I saw it happen. And that was awesome to watch. <laughs> is that a, is that an inappropriate question I, it's ambiguous in the text it's a great question and it totally is <laughs> this is what you get when two literature professors <laughs> try to analyze anything related to sexuality in a show yeah right like what is what exactly is the hidden thing here and what is going on too in that sort of male sexuality, I guess, that involves maybe being in a hotel room and right. one man doing both of them. Yeah, right. I mean, like, okay, so let's say the alternative is that both of them have sex with one of the sisters <laughs> in the same room. There is, like, you know, a homoerotics of that, too. Totally. Yes. Is Todd Packer like going to be revealed to be gay? Like, because his <laughs> gay panic seems, you know... It is intense. That's uh, yeah. a good question. That's a good question. Let's let's wait and see. <laughs> uh, he's got to. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Just gonna say to the point about the the kind of homoerotic dimension to it. The fact that Michael takes so much pleasure in Packer doing both of them, whether it's that he actually gets to see it and observe it, or it's that he kind of participates it in it as the wingman who kind of brings the guy brings the girls back to the motel with them um yeah very interesting scene and a very interesting sort of thing that's narrated as a story and that then is an absence within the story that we've got yeah you know actually now that you're talking i'm thinking back to trump's locker room you know the way that he tried to explain his bragging about sexual violence and assault was to say oh it was just locker room talk which was not to deny what he said but to say, oh, it's a particular like genre or context for a speech act, right? Yeah. Um, we are really drilling down on in our <laughs> nerdiness today. But okay. Packer, so right. Packer is all about this genre of speech acts. <laughs> yeah. But like the okay, so because another moment in which he does it is talking about the CFO who is like having sex with the secretary. And yes, what's the word that he uses there? Uh I, I can't remember do you have the transcript I thought it was nailing maybe nailing yep it's yeah. nailing so we've got bone do bang and nail yeah it was nailing his secretary that's right 
And, but like part of, like, this is the thing that I've never quite understood about like straight men recounting sexual exploits to one another is like, there is a kind of, I suppose the, the egotism is kind of like uh, about, um, you know, look at me, I had this sexual conquest or something. But what's more interesting to me is the kind of voyeuristic thrill of like being told a sexual experience from someone else. So like the fact that Michael could be like, it was awesome that he did this thing. Yeah. The pleasure for Michael is like being in proximity to it in the same way that like Todd Packer telling the story, Todd Packer wasn't nailing the secretary. He's just recounting it, but he gets so much of a thrill. Like it has always felt to me like, you're titillating each other like there's something so queer to me about about this kind of male I don't know I don't have a thesis here other than it, it was it's just really smart the way the episode shows how like this kind of straight men patriarchal discourse is very eroticized and then it takes up so much space of a workspace like it shows the workspace to be filled with all kinds of I don't know uh, charged energy that that these men aren't thinking about the implications of that, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I'm enjoying imagining how upset Todd Packer would be by the questions that you are raising <laughs> <laughs> about him. And it's wonderful. Well, I have a question for you about the role of moms in this episode. And because okay. you pointed it out, there's the who's boning your mom, you know, who has two thumbs and is boning your mom or whatever. But then that's intercut plot wise with Pam's actual mom showing up. Yeah. I was kind of wondering what you thought about why they structured the episode in this way. What the, what effect did it have for you? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but let me put out there. Well, this is now making me think back also to our discussion of Jim talking about this was in in hot girl when roy asks him what's his type and he says moms mostly you know soccer moms nascar moms all that so we got that for moms we also have after toby has given his presentation about sexual harassment um pam mentions her mom she mentions that her mom is coming today so let's not talk about all these things well my mom's here and kevin goes milf mm -hmm. mom i'd like to fuck for people who need a translation um, yeah, so we've got that there too. So Kevin then is putting Pam's mom as like a potentially, you know, conquestable kind of person. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Oh man, I, I don't know. I just, I thought, wow, that's a really smart writing choice. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really been able to tease out in my head, like what, um, what the implications of that are other than, I mean, the, maybe this is really obvious, but I was like, okay, you know, you joke a lot about doing somebody's mom or mom jokes or whatever, yeah. but then when their mom actually shows up, that makes the, this kind of figure real now. Yes. Um, so there was that to Toby says, let's pretend every day that Pam's mom is here. <laughs> which I thought was interesting because I was like, well, this, that is kind of the, um, the misogynist and patriarchal response to any kind of um, things about sexual harassment or about, you know, um, I don't know, uh, 
kind of a yeah sexual harassment in general is like oh it's the nanny state it's you're you're trying to like you know it's to deploy the figure of the sort of like um chastising mother you know and coming in and 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 castrating everybody's you know pleasure or something like that you know so i thought it was interesting you know toby's trying to like deploy that for positive ends but um but it just made me think right like from todd packer's point of view that's the problem with jan showing up you know and corporate is like it's this kind of um i don't know the bad moms trying to stamp out the boy you know boys will be boys kind of play i don't know yeah i don't i don't have much more what a problem that is for todd packer then i feel like to have a woman in power who is over him yeah yeah and maybe yeah feels to him like the oppressive mother who's shutting things down but i think i think you're so right about putting pam's mom there and the idea of making it real it's like it literalizes the mom so that it's not just an abstract bangable to use the language of the show person right idea but yeah it's an actual person and figure and can we talk about how roy interacts with her mom Ooh, please do i wanted to have a category or award for whoever is being the worst in the office about <laughs> this episode and actually, I, I probably shouldn't frame it that way because it probably isn't Roy when Todd Packer is in the room. But just the fact, so he comes up to, like, they're going to go for dinner. And he comes up and he comes in the door and he's wearing a sweater and khakis. And he has his hair kind of, like, cleaned up and sort of slicked back a little bit. Like, he's trying to look so wholesome. Mm-hmm. And- he never looks like that. And he just, oh, he just disgusts me in this scene, the way that he is performing for the mom. Uh, it totally worked for me. I was like, oh, Roy cleans up nice. Really? Yeah. Well, tell me more. I don't know. I mean, I, I really didn't think about it any more than that, where I was like, oh, I thought Roy was ugly. And now I'm like, oh, he's not so bad. I see what Pam sees. You were attracted and I was disgusted. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I was like attracted to him, but I just was like, oh, you know, maybe that's what he'd look like when he used to try or something. Um, (laughs) Okay. He's not trying anymore with Pam. Um, Okay. So you took this as Roy trying rather than Roy totally performing and deceiving. I guess they're the same thing. I just mm-hmm. didn't, I hadn't really thought deeply about how his trying implies a kind of deceptive mm-hmm. thing, but it does, right? And um, yeah, say more about what, like, why it is, why did that bother you so much? Why did that disgust you? Mm. I just feel like, I don't know, it's so frustrating then because I feel like the mom is seeing this version of Roy that is not the version of Roy that shows up for Pam and that's true oh there's just something so annoying to me about that but also the way it sets it up that right before Roy comes in Jim is walking up to the desk Mm -hmm. and so he goes and he's like kind of going to grab 
some M&Ms and he wants to talk to the mom. And he's been having, he had that conversation before with Pam in the kitchen and Pam is eating her chocolate bar in a way that's just so cute, I think. Um, <laughs> Pam's sitting eating chocolate and Jim is talking to her and he is looking forward to meeting her mom. And he says he has a lot of questions for her. And, you know, he's being like playful and fun about it. Mm-hmm. But as he walks up, it's like he, I don't know, it just seemed much more sincere. And like, he's interested in Pam and cares about Pam. So he's interested in meeting and knowing about getting to know her mom too. And then Roy walks in and he, so Jim just does this like quick turn away yeah. as if he's just going to get M&Ms. And I just found that to be kind of a heartbreaking scene. Which is then redeemed when, okay, so Roy leaves to go get the car. Um, he does a little cute dance with the, about the music and the mother says nothing about Roy. She does not say he looks great or like, oh, it's so good to see him or like, oh, any update on the, um, on the, on the engagement or whatever. The first thing she says is like, so who's Jim? Yes, you're so right. So at least that maybe the mom is not, um, not buying this thing that Roy is selling. Yeah, just, I don't. Yeah, go ahead. Just because she's she's certainly not enchanted by him, no. the way he comes in like that. Yeah, he's trying so hard, but it's not working. Yet so satisfying when the first thing that she asks is about Jim, and he's looking the scene to it like the camera is kind of behind him looking at his profile, and he just he keeps focusing, looking down, writing, doing his work but he just has the littlest smile where he's trying not to smile, but he has overheard it. And yeah, my heart was so full at that time. Yeah. That's what's so, so good. I do think about the way that the, um, the show does will they, won't they love story is like, Mm -hmm. it really reduces it to the tiniest moments that really are not, I mean, it's like really not the center Yes, the plot or even of the, um, you know, kind of the, the um, whatever is going on in the office itself. Like it's these little stray moments that kind of get folded into other scenes. And mm-hmm. yeah, so it really works for me, um, even if I'm yeah, skeptical about their love story. But I do, it's just interesting to me that we both read Roy's trying differently, which makes me wonder like how, you know, um, our genders play into this, uh, you know, reading, but like, I totally see your point and agree. I think that I just, I think I read it as like, oh, he's trying for her mom or he's trying for Pam. And that's like nice to see. But now that you say it, it's like, oh, right. Like then, but you're only trying when it's like somebody else is watching. And, but on the other hand, I was like, why would he care at this point, how long have they been engaged? Like years now? Which, yeah. Why does he need to win over the mom? That's a yeah. good point. I don't yeah. know what he, what Roy's thinking. Although I don't think he's thinking very much. He also makes a queer joke too, right? Doesn't he say queers are us? Or is that? Um, yes. Let's talk about that. So yeah, I've got the, I've got the quote. On oh, that. thanks. Yeah. This is when, so when Michael First of all, just to set it up, and I am going to want to hear what you think about Toby in this episode. So that's going to be a big question for you. We'll get to that. But dude, we have so much to talk about. We have so much to talk about. So just to kind of set up where he goes to the warehouse, it's right before or right, sorry, right after 
Toby has just announced that he's going to give everybody an update about um, HR and the kind of rules for sexual harassment. And Michael, in setting this up, says, Toby has an announcement that he insists on making right now in the middle of the day. And <laughs> Toby makes his announcement and everyone is like, okay, great, sounds good, fine. And Michael says something like, you know, I wish you luck, but you are going to have a mutiny on your hands. And so then he says he's, it's time to bring out the big guns. And he strolls downstairs to the office to try to get the big guns. And he wants to show them what is at stake if we don't get to have these jokes. So he's asking them for a joke. And Daryl says, <clears throat> those are some awful tight pants you have on. Where'd you get them? Like queers are us. Mm. And then Roy jumps in, boys are us. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what did you make of that whole scene, that whole interaction? I felt like it put Michael into the position of other people in the office yeah. because he becomes the one who the joke is on and he keeps trying to be like, well, you know, maybe not a joke at my expense, but in this case, it is at his expense and he's now the one kind of being sexually harassed. Yep. yep. <laughs> So I think it kind of turns the positions there. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought about it exactly like that. I just, I kind of got the idea of like, okay, it's turning it around, but I hadn't really thought enough about how like, oh no, that is like sexual harassment because they start catcalling him afterwards as he's walking away. It's over the top because somebody does like a sheep noise or something, but yeah, yeah. like there's definitely very, you know, the way that Roy kind of, and Daryl especially kind of catcall him as he's turns towards us yeah is not a joke well it is a joke but it's not it's like played in earnest um, uh on the yeah and because they're like um oh it's okay you know they're like saying basically you you don't maybe have that much in your pants you don't have that much business i can't remember exactly the line yeah you don't have a big package it's like that they have that kind of line too so they're also really then talking about michael's body yes but what did you think? What did you think about the queers are us? Well, I just as you mentioned that, like I forgot they said he doesn't have a a big package or something. And then we have Todd Packer, you know, that his last name. And then he, of course his license plate is well hung, which <laughs> is so funny when uh what's his name? Who's the town? Ryan. Um, yeah, Ryan. Ryan said, Are you a fan of William? What's his name? William, William Hung. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, that is a brilliant joke and also a great way of kind of undermining Packer and then... Totally, yes. Yeah. Is it, I've looked him up in the past. I should have again because I kind of forgot. But wasn't he somebody who sang on America's uh, American Idol, Idol or something? American Idol, one of those shows. So it's so not the kind of reference that Packer wants it to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great undermining of him. Um, uh, queers are, I guess I just, I mean, on the one hand, I was thinking about, you know, um, like, uh, you know, I watch a lot of horror movies and you go back to watch, um, like early two thousands, even mid two thousands horror movies. And they're dropping the, you know, the faggot word, like left and right, you know, as a, there's a famous, not famous, but an iconic moment in Freddy versus Jason, where like it's, it's deployed and like fans, have debated like should they cut that out should they like you know in a, like a later edition should they edit out you know somebody using that slur and um 
you know, I feel really ambivalent about it. Like it kind of, it really ruins parts of that. Like, um, you know, not that I'm a huge Freddy versus Jason fan, but like, you know, horror movies or 2000s movies where those things pop up. It's yeah, it's like, it's hard to hear. Um, on the other hand, I'm like, there is something really good, I think, about looking back at like, it's not that long ago where kind of homophobic jokes were very, very, very okay and normalized, you know, and obviously they're still happening and they're still normalized in lots of spaces. But in our popular culture, I bet they would not, I bet that there would be a huge discussion where it'd be like, well, is it okay to have Roy and Daryl make like a transphobic joke, even if we're trying to demonstrate that like what they're doing is perpetuating transphobia. Like, and I have a feeling that a contemporary sitcom might just avoid the issue entirely. And so I kind of appreciate the show's willingness to, sh to, to demonstrate how, um, whatever, uh, pervasive yeah. these kinds of jokes are. On the other hand, we don't get any, you know, at this point, we don't really have any character who's queer mm -hmm. to cut to, as far as I know, do we have, has um, Oscar been mm -hmm. like identified as a gay character yet? Right. So, so as a consequence, you have like, what if Pam was a lesbian, you know, and it's like, so there's this speculation of like, oh, queer people could be in the office, but we don't get to cut to anybody's face to feel the impact of it in the way that we will with Phyllis around like the body shaming and sexual harassment of her. So I guess that's all I felt about it where I was kind of like, ah, like this is why it's not like the fact that they're making gay jokes that bothers me. It's the fact that like we need gay characters <laughs> among others to register the significance of those jokes. Mm -hmm. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I guess related to the people then who respond to those things and you're right so often it's the the cutting to the faces and seeing people's reactions and so the person who we have available for reactions in the kind of technical corporate sense is toby from hr mm. and in the past long long ago and this is my I, I don't think you had seen many episodes at that point anyway but you were a lover of toby and so i have been looking forward to getting further into Toby's character. And I think we are, we have Toby really, really, really coming out, coming out strong in this episode. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts about him. I thought and it was really sweet the way that he relates to Dwight. I couldn't tell if Dwight was trolling Toby because I feel like that would be a part of Dwight's character maybe later. Uh -huh. um, but I think it's totally genuine. I'm going totally genuine. <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. That was my that's my initial thought is like I actually thought it was kind of sweet. And I mean, obviously, like silly, like it's a, it made me really laugh that Toby sort of thinks of his he's like, well, I am in human resources. And it was a question about human anatomy. Like he's so earnest. And like, that's obviously a ridiculous uh, idea. But it made me that really made me laugh. <laughs> yes. When when Dwight comes in and Toby has said, following his sexual harassment presentation, if you have any questions, you know where I am. <laughs> you know, really takes him up on that, goes back and asks Toby, where is the clitoris? And there's just this like, the slow zoom in on Toby's face and he just stays quiet. And I'm like, what 
is going on in Toby's head right now. And so as he stays quiet and the moment sort of hangs, Dwight keeps coming back with more questions. And then, yeah, it cuts to that, that interview you described where, yeah, he's like, I am, I am from human resources. And this was a human anatomy question. <laughs> yeah, I thought he handled that kind of beautifully. It was interesting that he, um, when he's introduced by Michael, Michael's like, you know, Toby works for corporate. So technically he's not part of our family. Yes. Wait. And then we have to have the next line too, which is, and he's divorced. So he's not really part of his family. <laughs> I laughed at that. I thought that was hilarious writing. <laughs> hilarious. Um, Just how far Michael wants to go to attack Toby <laughs> using his divorce. And of course, Michael does not have a family of his own. Right. Oh, I forgot about that. The, you know, kind of nuclear family having a wife or having kids. Right. Sense. And so it's an interesting way for him to attack Toby for not being a part of his family. So like, I wouldn't go so far as to say Michael is like a queer figure, but <laughs> the fact that he doesn't have a family, but he also doesn't like, he's not a kind of, he's not Todd Packer as a bachelor type. You know, it's just kind of interesting to see, to think, I hadn't really thought about like, oh, that's partly why Michael's so invested in claiming the office as his family and, um, and, but he positions himself as the father. Cause like, that's the final joke of the episode that he's like, the dad can't take a bath with the kids, even though he wants to with Pam, um, was just such an interesting metaphor uh for how he sees himself in relationship to the office and I, I had forgot to say this but when he's walking to talk to the guys in the warehouse he's looking for jokes to remind everybody upstairs what's great about this place and i was like but what is so great about it in his mind like you know and i guess it's this sense to me it's like this sense of camaraderie and family so it's really important to him that it's we're not just doing work like the the comedy and the jokes are partly about his narcissism or whatever like that he's getting attention but also that like we're not really working right we're like playing we're we're friends we're hanging out um yeah yeah you can see i think how important that is and i think some of what the jokes give him in the that's what she said mm. so there's um a kind of earlier part. So when they're going to watch the HR video about crossing the line and <laughs> Michael's in <laughs> with the warehouse guys and you sort of feel like this is a perfect situation for Michael. Like he's getting to hang out with the guys and eat microwave pizza and watch this video. Yep. So to that camaraderie you said. And so he goes out he says actually that he wishes he wishes Todd Packer was here because he would love this. But then he goes out, invite other people to come in. And Jim says, no, thanks. I'm good. Michael, that's what she said. And then Pam, uh, my mother is coming. Michael, that's what she said. So those are the first uses of it. But then when um, Jan is there and Michael comes out and he says that line that you already mentioned, you can consider this my retirement from comedy. Jim responds, wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so. And then there's Packer's face. 
Yep. And then there's Michael. That's what she said. And it feels like water just bursting from a dam. Like this yeah. thing he's trying to hold. And it's such a powerful force. And then his face, he just looks, so he laughs and he has this face of just absolute delight mm-hmm. that I think is a beautiful face. And so then rather than um, <laughs> me thinking of this as a very problematic reaction or something, I just enjoy it so much seeing him enjoy it because it was just a perfect setup and then he's got to take it. Mm. Is this an offensive position for me to take? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, that is, to me, it's like such an iconic moment, the, the, uh-huh. what you're, and you describe it beautifully too, the way that Packard looks, Jim is setting him up, but I was kind of curious what you made of Jim essentially goading him. <laughs> That's a good point. Mm. like why why would Jim do that or why what's at stake in him doing that do you think it's partly just that it's fun yeah like he knows he knows it's going to be irresistible for Michael and it's fun I mean I guess one way to read it would be to think you know yeah he's setting a sort of trap for him that he knows he can't avoid when he's in front of Jan and when the stakes then are different than if she's not there but I think I'm choosing to read it as good-spirited yeah I think this is this is one scene where I was like this is why I don't trust Jim like (laughs) it's like he's in in goading him he is perpetuating the thing that like we want to um not perpetuate I mean I felt the same way frankly about him bringing in the sex doll to his interview where I was like it is funny like it's really funny and the way that Jim or John Krasinski plays it and like kind of he moves the um blow up doll in ways that really like are physical comedy is it was like really very amusing to me yeah yeah I I thought it was brilliant but I also was like oof this is where I'm like I don't know about Jim Mm -hmm. um or how different he really is from Michael sometimes um yeah but uh yeah no I don't think what you're saying is an offensive position I do think it though it gets us it you're you're pushing us to think about like okay what is first what is the that what is that's what she said all about like what is it that makes it so funny and interesting but also what is the show's um theory of comedy um because Michael says there's no such thing as an appropriate joke that's what makes it a joke. And so the what, what's interesting about that is like you need lines and boundaries and you need somebody scowling then. You need somebody enforcing the appropriate to then have the pleasure of, of, of the inappropriate, right? Like you don't have, you don't get to be the little transgressive jokester without some without Toby or without Jan you know kind of looking down on you and so I don't know what to make of that other than I I thought that that was really interesting that part of the plot is that Michael realizes he actually wasn't ever in trouble and that I don't know why that he thought he did he's like oh I'm such a bad boy but actually I'm corporate and which is such a reversal because he's like Toby's the one that's corporate 
kind of censoring me and I need to push the boundaries. And then by the end, he's like, oh, actually I was never in trouble and I'm part of corporate. And so anyway, I don't, I don't have any like point other than I was really interested in that. And yeah, what, I don't know. I'm, you have written and thought a lot about jokes and laughter and humor. So I was, I kept being like, we need Megan's like theory not really, here. Not really. <laughs> and not in a way that uh, translates to this, but I love the question you raised about what is it that's going on and that's what she said like what is behind that what is it that makes it funny and this is sort of a sidetrack but it reminds me of this time I was teaching a class and I said something that was just kind of like what Jim says to Michael but unintentional (laughs) just a very perfect almost irresistible that's what she said setup and I kind of realized it right as I finished saying it And something kind of crossed my face that was a recognition of it. And I looked out and there were a couple of guys sitting toward the front, just kind of like, (laughs) 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 just like the little smile of recognition. And I made, I looked at them and they looked at me and I knew what they were thinking and they knew that I was recognizing. And I think, so (laughs) I don't know why, just kind of a, a funny, um, it's sort of like a, a call and response joke in some way. Yes, yes. You know, like you're not alone in doing a that's what she said. You're always picking up something someone else has set up for you, kind of. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it has to be, it's all about timing, right? Because mm-hmm. if you wait too long, then the disc, like the language keeps going. And so you've missed the moment to reframe it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about timing, but as you're saying too, it's also, to- it's always relational, right? Like, and maybe every joke is relational, but this is relational in like a really specific way. Cause it's partly about who's going to say it first. And it's about potentially either reframing your own words or what somebody else has said. Um, yeah. What if, if, yeah. I was just going to say, well, to go to the things that you have written about extensively, <laughs> think about that's what she said as like a kind of, well, first of all, I guess the the heteronormativity of it and what kind of story goes with that's what she said. Mm-hmm. Because not that it's just sexist or something. It's like, it's not in a, in a sort of general way. It's not like when someone says, I'm going to go to cook dinner and you say that, that's what she said. Right. So it's like a particular kind of, story that always goes with it yeah it's that's so interesting too because what were we talking about earlier with the like locker room talk and a particular like genre of speech act like this takes like the pleasure of it is to take a benign non-sexual statement and Uh to turn it into um or to insert it into a sexualized narrative right and so it it is coercive by definition in that you're like, but, but I have always been like, well, who is the she (laughs) in that's what she said. Like, and, and when did she say it? You know Um, I remember for a time when we were living together, I think we tried to switch on and off. We would say, that's what he said. Um, (laughs) uh, Just to do, you know, as equal justice or whatever. Um, (laughs) 
And it was equally as funny, I think, um, but it definitely lends to a different narrative frame, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. so you're totally right. There is this kind of heteronormativity underneath it. And I do think part of the pleasure of that joke, at least for us, is wordplay. Like we love language that yeah. is, uh, always implies more than it, it or it, yeah, it always has, it contains more than it seems to, or it implies more than it's, than anyone intends. And, you know, so part of what's interesting about that is like it foregrounds how sex is always potentially <laughs> within the frame, um, or I don't know, I, I don't know, sexual suggestion. And that's part of what's problematic, right? Like that, I don't know. Yeah, I don't have a point. <laughs> this, wait, now I just lost my um, train of thought. Oh yeah, so it was making me think back to your question too about the humor or the kind of theory of comedy in the show because like sex is such an available area of humor, mm -hmm. but the show isn't really about sex jokes. Like here it's oh. kind of jokes about sex jokes. But throughout the show as a whole, that's not its kind of comedy. Right. And there's maybe a distinction between kind of like cringe comedy and more raunchy comedy. Yes. That are different categories, I guess. I wonder if this helps explain. Okay. I thought one of the funniest jokes in the whole episode was when Michael tells the joke about uh, crabs you know, getting crabs uh, from a, you know, $5, he says, lady of the night, I think, or whatever. Um, and then she's like, what'd you expect? Lobster or something, you know? And I laughed like at that joke. Like I thought it was a funny joke, <laughs> which, um, you know, maybe is, says that I'm a problematic person or whatever. I thought the joke was funny, but in the context of the show, the joke is not the joke that he's telling. It's the next sentence when he says, this is what's at stake. <laughs> and so there is the like, it's a joke about sex jokes. And, and what's so funny is like, nothing's at stake. And that's not neither necessary. And it's not especially, it's not like a particularly funny or insightful joke either. But anyway, I found that's what, this is what's at stake was so fucking funny and clever. Yes. And that, that is still what the office is about to me, like it, or what the office is trying to make funny. Yes, that is one just absolutely wonderful thing. I think you're right. That line, this is what's at stake, <laughs> is a favorite. I feel like I have to go to one other favorite thing that also occurs in Michael's office. And did you notice the enormous pencil on his desk? No, I didn't. He has this, it's like a toy pencil, kind of. It's maybe a foot long and it's like, it's like thick. It's like the proportions of a normal pencil, but really, really big. And it's just, so sometimes it's sitting on his desk. I think it's there in other episodes too. But there's this part when, um, uh, it's when Pam and the lawyer are there. No, no, it's not that. It's when Toby goes in to tell him that there's going to be this presentation about um, sexual harassment. Oh, and I remember back to something I was going to say that I lost in response to what you said. And that was about the way that when Michael finds out that it's not actually really about him, that the lawyer would protect him, 
But the way that, because he thinks like when, when corporate's coming in to respond to this issue of one of the higher ups and their secretary, Michael automatically like, takes it personally. Yeah. The stake is for him that it's not just about dealing with what that guy did. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this note, so, so Toby goes in and he's trying to talk to him. And so Michael, this is right after he said, you know, Toby isn't a part of our family and he's divorced. So he's not really a part of his family. And he's kind of leaning back with his feet on the desk and he's holding this huge pencil. And if we want, so it's kind of sitting in his lap. If we wanted to get really Freudian about it, as we have done in a couple moments, we might say it's some kind of phallic reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, following, is it following? I can't remember if it's before or after his encounter with the warehouse guys, but I'm not really interested in that. What I'm really interested in is the way that it takes this ridiculous item and inserts it into what is supposed to be a serious conversation and I don't know just kind of I guess ridicules the situation in some in some way like doesn't allow it to be taken seriously yeah 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 oh that's so now I need to go back and look for that pencil because that corrects me I cannot believe I missed that um Keep your eye out for it. It's really enjoyable. I had never noticed the part of him, like it's sitting in his lap. I've noticed it before being on his desk, um, but it's now that, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, now that you mentioned the lawyers, I, I just, cause I want to hit a few things before we wrap up that just made me laugh. One was the, uh, um, I can't remember his first name, but Albini, I think was the last name of the lawyer who also specializes in diet pill lawsuits and motorcycle, you know, head injuries. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael's like, I think we're under an hour, you know, it's like, but I did paperwork at home. Like, I don't know. That really made me laugh. Um, and, uh, uh, oh yeah, I did want to say, I mean, I, I think, I actually think the show is smarter than or this episode of the show is smarter than where we're at now with comedy like because michael i think is the one who says like you know he keeps saying you can't say anything and like jan's like yeah actually you can't and it's about context it's about like what in what space you're saying something it's this is a workspace you're the boss like and I just think, you know, it feels to me like um, even like ostensibly liberal comedians now are like, oh, you can't say anything because people get offended. And it's like, that's not the problem. <laughs> and that's not what's at stake. You know, it's like what's at stake is you're punching down, you know, like when you're making jokes about, you know, marginalized and stigmatized, you know, populations. And so I felt like the show really makes that clear when it's like, you know, they're mocking Phyllis, you know, and um and uh you know so it's like you're punching down they're not punching up and then so it's about power but it's also about context and so the i I thought the the scene where they're in the um they're watching the video and it's like about crossing a line and then uh it's the natural redhead and then daryl pauses it and is like oh i had sex with her and you're and she's naughty and michael is like oh hypocrite 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 And I was like, so what is her hypocrisy that she had sex with somebody at a party? Like (laughs) that has nothing to do with like the workspace, (laughs) right? And I just like, I I think about this a lot because like, uh, you know, a lot of the students at SUNY Cortland are going to go on to be teachers. And there's this whole discourse 
around like, oh, these future teachers, like they better not have anything on their social media, for example, that, you know, suggests anything inappropriate. And what that often and typically means is like, women better not do anything that, that admits that they have bodies um, or that they are sexual beings or anything like that, right? And like, you can't, you know, many people cannot control that given the ways that our culture misogynistically and homophobically and otherwise like writes sexuality onto you regardless of whatever you've done. But what, yeah, so what pisses me off about that is I'm like, so fucking what if somebody, you know, uh, is on Instagram, you know, for example, or, you know, was, was, uh, was in porn or something even, you know, I feel like we've had these national cases where it's like students found out their teachers were once in a, you know, in a porn film or something like that. And it's like, again, like, how does that impact their ability to do something in the context of a classroom? We, teachers are not like, I don't know, your whole life is not devoted to your job. Like I often feel like from a Marxist point of view, it bothers me where it's like this expansion of the workspace to the entire world rather than like, so anyway, I felt that the show is very, very clever in sort of trying to emphasize that it's like, yeah, actually there are things you can't say within a workspace and that that's not a problem. And that doesn't actually limit your capacity to make jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I don't yeah. know. And to I just feel like we're living in a, even more conservative moment now (laughs) in some ways when it comes to comedy, Um, but not in the way that like Dave Chappelle thinks. Um, (laughs) You know, I feel like like Dave Chappelle is more conservative than he thinks he is. Uh And he sounds a lot like Michael Scott saying like, oh, can't say anything. (laughs) Well, Michael Scott would be so flattered by that comparison, I'm sure. (laughs) Just one other little thing. So you, yeah, you mentioned the, the thing with um, Phyllis and Todd. Todd has said something to Phyllis, um, and but in this, the, gosh, what is this? Um, I can't even remember quite what Todd. Oh, he's telling. It's the joke about somebody and his wife, and kind of telling his wife to pack up and move out because he's yeah. won the lottery. And Phyllis, you can tell this is one where her face. She's just clearly not enjoying this and is kind of looking up toward Michael who's standing there to be like are you going to say something and Michael kind of does I think one of the things we see here is his difficulty in navigating the coolness of Todd Packer and the desire that he does have to support and care about the people he works with so he's not you know as far gone as as Todd Packer at all so he kind of jumps in and he says no that crosses the line but instead of putting it on Packer, he puts it on Kevin. Yeah. For for like pointing for pointing to Phyllis or something like that. He calls it hostile work environment. So he even actually uses the language of like sexual harassment lawsuits and kind of yeah. law, right? like hostile environment is kind of the technical language of it. So I was just interested in seeing the ways that he is both a jerk in this episode, but is also torn and that influence of you know the the wanting to fit in with Todd Packer but then also having some discomfort about going that far yeah I like how the show doesn't really give us you know this yes he throws away the sex doll at the end and yes he kind of protects (laughs) or he attempts to not protect but like he attempts to deflect and critique the um you know, uh, the, 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 um, harassment of Phyllis, 
On the other hand, he ends with a, you know, a, a sexually charged, you know, metaphor about essentially being, you know, bathing with Pam and yeah. the way that he compensates for the shaming of Phyllis or whatever, or the, or the, you know, yeah. her, is to be like, I love her. And the only thing I'm worried about is like getting a boner or whatever. Yeah. And um, he like overcompensates, but also doesn't understand, you know, fundamentally that like that is also harassment <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like objectification yeah, yeah. um so I kind of like that because it's like yeah this is not a person who's really going to get it um even though he's like trying which makes him yeah. different than Todd Packer but also I think the word boner is one of the funniest words in the English language and when he said it I just was like it makes me laugh so much <laughs> A lot of language, a lot of interesting language stuff has, has been drawn out, I think, in this conversation. Um, any last points you want to make before we give our Dundies? I don't think so. I think it's time to go to Dundies. Well, I have an award for uh, sex positive education, sex positive uh, sex education, and that's going to go to Toby uh, <laughs> for his um, you know, genuine, earnest, and sweet willingness to talk with Dwight about his questions around the clitoris and around pleasure. And, uh, and I just loved it when he said that the public school system had failed, uh, had failed Dwight. And I was like, but you know, if we have more human resource workers, like Toby, we can, uh, you know, <laughs> fight back against that gap. Anyway, that's my award for, uh, or that's my Dundee. Okay. Well, for the second week in a row, we have chosen the same. No! <laughs> and today I am giving the ultimate professional, ultimate professionalism award to Toby because I think he really holds it together well when he is facing some serious headwinds coming from Dwight, from Michael, from Todd. <laughs> I, just, I just felt like he really maintained his professional vibe throughout. <laughs> love that. I love that. Um, all right, what's the next week's episode? Is it, uh, what'd you say? <laughs> I forgot. I think it's Office Olympics. Oh, it is Office Olympics. That's right. That's right. Uh, which, if I recall, is that, um, isn't that one of your all-time favorites, too? <laughs> or it's somebody, somebody, is this the one where he eats fettuccine Alfredo? Oh, no, that's later. Oh, Okay. <laughs> But as you can tell, I love the Fettuccine Alfredo situation. So that's something for us to look forward to. All right. Well, I look for, I don't, I don't know anything or don't have any memory of Office Olympics, but I look forward to watching it and talking about it with you soon. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for listening. And also want to say thank you to Jen Lightfoot for our amazing music and logo. Yeah. Thank you so much. And everybody should follow us on social media. Um, what are our social media handles again? just give us a moment to look them up uh yeah we got oh here they are i've got uh <laughs> office underscore hours underscore podcast on instagram and office underscore hrs underscore pod on twitter and we promise to start checking them more frequently so you you should uh tweet or add us and uh and with any questions or things you want us to address on the pod and we will respond all right thanks for listening Thanks, bye.